You're listening to the Spuddy Dude Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode on the Spidey Dude Radio Network. I'm Jack Joyner, your friendly neighborhood webmaster of, of the website that powers this very podcast, the executive producer of the Spidey Dude Radio Network. As always, we have to thank our patrons that help support the website and the podcast network over on patreon.com slash Network. Patrons such as Allison, Cindy, Ed, Georgia, Greg, Janelle, Jessica, Jurgen, Catherine, Kale, Laura Howard, Lump Moose, Master Dramon, Phoenician, Scott, Vanessa, Vicky, Winnipeg Webhead, Greg, Lisa, UltimateFangirl.exe, Kigar, Sarah Petzel, Scott McGraw, Sebastian, and Venkman. Thank you guys for your support over on Patreon.com slash Network. If you have not checked out our other fine shows on the network, we have Clone Soccer Chronicles and Spectacular Radio. We have ASM Classics, this show, the Salby Sima Era Podcast, Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles Podcast, Spidey Dude Experience, and Make Mine Mayday. The Spidey Dude Experience is the flagship show on the network now, and we also have a show within a show, just like this show, with the Slot Symposium. This show has the Web of Music show, that if you've not already checked out those episodes here on this feed, you should definitely do so. They're a lot of fun. Once again, I want to thank Chris for hosting, and uh, thank you for supporting the website. Leave us that five-star review. Let us know how we're doing here on the Spidey Dude Radio Network. With that, I turn it over to Chris. Welcome back to another spectacular episode of the spectacular Sal Basema era podcast here on the Spidey Dude Radio Network. I am your host, Dr. Chris, and hopefully you also checked out recently uh, the newest episode of my newest show on this network, Web of Music, with, with me and composer Lito Velasco talk about the Spider-Man the movie soundtrack and score. And we'll be following it up with Spider-Man 2 and 3, which 3 does have a lot more to talk about because of there was never a releases for it. But uh, go over to Spidey Dude Radio Network and check out Web of Music, a Spider-Man movie retrospective music retrospective podcast. But for now, thank you for joining me for Spectacular Sal Basema era podcast and joining me for these three issues of Avenger Assemble nuttiness. This is probably one of the weirder storylines that happens in the spectacular Spider-Man Salbacema era um, is Liz Jordan from her podcast. Uh, the comic crush. Uh, there's a, a bunch of offshoots, but I'm <laughs> um, crushing comics is the one that I mainly participate in. Uh, it's uh, a show, as you might guess, about comics. Uh, we do weekly comics, things, you know, the retrospective, things like that. Um and it is uh, hosted by my friend Paul Dunn on his website, The Comic Crush. Awesome. And you're also a comic book guru yourself, cosplayer, and um, comic gal at That's Entertainment. That's correct. Uh, yes, I, uh, I've i worked in comic shops for many years. Um, I love comics. I love to talk about comics. And uh, I 
also really love Spider-Man. Fantastic. Spectacular. uh, (laughs) Being, um, how many years have you worked in comic book stores? Uh, I would, I mean, uh, in some form or other, close to 20 years. Oh my God, seriously? Yeah, since I was young. Wow, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. Were you, um... Were you always like the cool girl who worked at the comic book stores or, or did, did, did customers treat you like one of the guys or was it like, oh, you're a girl you know <laughs> about comic books? Uh, oh, I don't know. That's varied over the years, I guess. Um, you know, obviously, uh, times have changed. Uh, you know, it's a lot different now than when I started working in comic shops. Oh, uh, I'm where sure. I, yeah. Yeah. Where I think that, uh, you know, it's, at that time, maybe it was a little more unusual to see a girl working at the comic shop. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think I'm pretty friendly, pretty knowledgeable. And, uh, I think once people realize I just, you know, I, I love comics too, then, you know, that, that kind of barrier goes away real fast. Excellent. And, um, you've been at that entertainment for a few, definitely a few years. Two years. Yeah. Two, two years. years. Oh my God. Well, uh, you're going to join me in this discussion of Spectacular Spider-Man. Um, what was your first introduction to Spidey in general, um, let alone this particular book? Wow. Uh, I, I'm i trying to think what my first Spider-Man comic might have been. Uh, it was a long time ago. <laughs> I, I think the first Spider-Man book that I remember, gee, I think, I, I mean, I have a really... I, had a really strong impression from Spider-Man Blue. Uh, I think that was something that I read, uh, mm-hmm. you know, fairly early in my comics reading tenure, uh, which is great. Uh, you know, I think that's still a great Spider-Man book that I would recommend, you know, to anybody looking to get into Spider-Man. It's like a really great sort of done in one uh, with the wonderful creative team of Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, who do great things together. Well, a team you unfortunately who I never see together again. I know, I know, which is very sad. Uh, but they did great work, and that that book, um, surprisingly, is uh, it's only available, you know, uh, in like a big fancy hardcover at the moment, and it had been out of print for years. Yeah, so um, well, I'm hoping they bring the paperback back soon. Well, you know, they're probably going to be heavily reprinting soon. Um, Superman for all seasons, because somebody's been talking about it on his Twitter account a lot. Yes. Yes, which is great. That's another great book that has, you know, not been around for quite a while. And uh, I'm very happy to see that come back to print. Yeah. So if you go over to a certain director, uh, head of DC Comics <laughs> uh, yeah. film uh, filmography right now, he is he is touting that book. And boy, let me tell you, the price guys for that book are going up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have my four copies signed by Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Well, yeah. If I had a second copy signed by Tim Sale, I would probably sell it. But since this is my only copies, um, I have the four individual prestige books. I'm definitely never going to sell that. So no. uh, just because Tim, unfortunately, did pass away. And one of his final appearances uh, in public was at That's Entertainment. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I, I know we've had him as a guest, but I didn't realize that was one of uh, his his last appearances. Right, because the pandemic kind of crashed out right after he was at your store. And then, um, so for a couple of years, he was in isolation, but he had also been, um, unfortunately, sick with, I think, cancer. So he, um, that prevented him from going to any cons when the convention started opening up again. And then he passed away last year. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was very sad. Yeah. But, um, 
we still have the uh, we still have everyone on this book with us, which is great. Um, which is I'm great. Glad yeah. Sal Basema and Jerry Conway are still doing. You know, Jerry Conway still doing cons. Sal Basema. Um, haven't seen him in any cons, but all these people are still around. Um, Tom DeFalco and my and me might be talking coming up soon about a certain project that I'm working on. Wow. That yeah. Was, I'll I'll check that out. Yeah, it will be a part of a TV show involving a, a famous artist that was quite a frequent guest at Tats Entertainment. Oh, yeah. I'm intrigued. But uh, to get into the credits for this book, we have Jerry Conway on script, Sal Basema on art, Rick Parker on letters, Bob Sharon and Renee uh, Witter, Witter Tater on colors. That's a new one for me. Jim Salakrup, uh, who's been on the show before as editor, and Tom DeFalco as editor in chief. Now, let me point something out. Right at the beginning, in the cover image of Spider-Man punching She-Hulk upside down <laughs> is a little bit unbelievable. But considering <laughs> that most people these days, if they read this book and watched the She-Hulk show, they'd be like, yeah, Spider-Man could take her. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's a, that's a very powerful punch from Spider-Man there. Um, on the cover, we also have uh, Captain America, Thor, Cersei, who people might know being played by... Um, Gemma Chan. Uh, who? Gemma Chan. I thought it was Selma Hayek. No. Oh, no. I thought it was Selma Hayek played Cersei in the movie. No, she played Ajax in the movie. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, uh, Gemma, that's right. That's the girl that was like um, uh, trying to romance um, Black Knight, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I got my internals mixed up. There's too many of them in that movie. <laughs> there is. And Quasar, who's uh, not been introduced to the Marvel Cinematic Universe yet. So, But everyone else in this, everyone else on this cover other than quasar has been in the marvel cinematic universe which is kind of funny yeah. to think about mm-hmm. um so we have uh she hulk showing up needing spider-man's help and i do love the fact i do love the way sal draws she hulk and this is a she hulk costume we will see through the entire run she's in the avengers and this was actually made into an action figure in the in hulk action figure line of toys that came out in conjunction with his upn cartoon series oh wow it's a good design yeah, yeah the um uh, i guess you would call this the uh the yoga outfit outfit uh, it's it's comfy it's uh it's kind of you know you could do yoga you could do you know it's uh it's a little bit like the uh 1980s like physical you know workout look right i just think it's kind of funny that spider-man just willingly goes with her to open up this um dark tunnel with cryptic messaging on there from 1890 without any question because he trusts she hulk only for her to obviously betray him for reasons we don't get into in this issue. But the first time you saw this casket opening up, had you read the, the Thor run by Louise and Walter Simonson? Yes. Okay, so did, did this invoke thinking this was like the casket that um, Malekith opens up with the eternal winter inside? Yeah, yeah it, it is actually very evocative of that. Um, but what spews out is more like what looks like the Venom symbiote. Yes, correct. <laughs> Which, you know, that uh, that at first, you know, I was like, oh, is that, you know, is, is that Venom related? But uh, we'll find out later. Maybe not. We got a couple plot lines I'm going to completely gloss over in this issue and then later on as well. Mary Jane is possibly thinking about having an affair and Thomas Fireheart still owes this debt to Peter because they can't ever repay a debt. And Thomas Fireheart obviously becomes a bigger part of the story. But Mary Jane's plot line is just kind of like, Meh. It's just on the side. It's just on yeah. the side. Yeah, it, it was continued over from the last issue where she was kissed by a co-worker from her set of Secret Hospital. Secret Hospital was her scandalous, you know, soap opera 
of sex and intrigue and murder like any other soap opera that it happened to be around. And honestly, her being on that soap opera, I think, aged up Mary Jane a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I would only imagine. Yeah, and she she does every once in a while do re- does reference Secret Hospital and current issues of Spider Man, which I think is very funny. That is very funny. Yeah, considering again the way they draw Mary Jane back then with the the giant nineties late eighties hair, it just made her feel and look older. Whereas today, it just seems like she's in, still in her early twenties, like her and Peter are. Right. Yeah. Whereas here, she she looks like she's you know she's a lady in her thirties, you know. What did you think of the uh, the plot line with Spider-Man trying to break free from his prison? Does this remind you of anything? It does. It does remind me of, like, you know, kind of the, the famous moment when he has to push himself out in, uh, what issue is it, Chris? It's an old Steve Ditko issue. I don't yeah. know the exact number off the top you of my know, head. But... Uh, you know, and I know. What? He's got to get the isotope to uh, Aunt May to save his life because he gave her a blood she, He gave her a blood transfusion and, and ended up ki- almost killing her because of his irradiated blood. Right. Um, but I love the fact that he storms right into Avengers Mansion and just smacks She-Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, doesn't waste any time. Just goes in swinging in every sense. You think the Avengers would just pile on him immediately, but I think it's because of Cersei's powers. He's able to like calm down, and that's when Captain America demands answers. And let me tell you something. Sal draws a great Captain America, which is funny considering he used to draw Captain America. <laughs> right. Um, the, one of my favorite moments involving Captain America and Spider-Man is actually in this run. Um, it was right after the chips are down, Carnage had basically captured Venom during the Maximum Carnage storyline. Cloak, Black Cat, and Firestar had been defeated because Firestar would not pour on the energy to kill Carnage because she's not a murderer. And uh, Carnage and his gang of misfits, including Carrion and Demo Goblin and Shriek, get the upper hand and uh, the the Spider Doppelganger and defeat um, the ragtag crew. And they take off with Venom and Spider-Man's left in Central Park, you know, broken ribs, like bleeding and just just utterly defeated and that's when somebody steps up to him and says hey son it looks like you could use and then you turn the panel it's a full plate splash of captain america standing there with his hand out a hand (laughs) and i just love that moment because the next issue cap is just directing giving orders calling in help from all angles he calls an iron fist he calls a deathlock he calls in a couple other people and spider-man in his thought bubbles was just like oh my god i have been so lost since cap showed up (laughs) oh that's great yeah i you know i i really i really do need to read this entire run because i never have um and you know it's it's just like so much fun and it's you know like every character is you know kind of just as you would want them to be and right um in the end of the first issue of the first part we find out that it is a space phantom what's your history with the space phantoms uh what you know i i i was like racking my brain i was like i yeah I, i'm sure i've read this character uh before and i realized he's uh first appears in this avengers issue too yep he was the uh, guy that caused the hulk with the Avengers because he posed as the Hulk and it turned the Avengers against him. Now this was the Avengers prior to Captain America being thawed out of the ice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, it's been ages since I read that and it may be the only other appearance of his that I've read. 
Um, and you, got, you also got to think, like, God, how come the Space Phantoms haven't been uh, shown up in anything yet? Like Guardians, like like Thor, Guardians of the Galaxy, even as right. a background character. Yeah, yeah, because it's a it's a useful power that he has. You know, because I I was like, oh, is this a chameleon? Is it you know who is it that's uh, you know sort of shape shifting here? And uh, actually, that's not what's happening because his power isn't to shape shift per se; it's to uh, like take over the body essentially of the person that he's um, impersonating and send them to limbo right. uh, with no memory of uh, of having been there or returning or what would have happened in the meantime. Right. You got it. And and the space fan and I'm not going to get this is not the podcast to get into it but let's say if you're a fan of Wandavision the space phantoms played a huge part in the Vision Quest storyline and other mucky continuity messy issues in the Avengers West Coast around the same time these books were publishing right yeah um so real quick just want to go over a couple of the cool ads in this issue on the back cover i absolutely do love the ravenloft ad from the dungeons and dragons that's a game i've seen in your store uh quite often mm. and, yeah. you gotta lo- <laughs> and you gotta love uh the bullpen bulletins we don't have time to read through the whole thing but uh they do point out a lot about how uh uh like um there's a there's a convention coming up that's going to involve Todd McFarlane, and Eric Larson, and Jim uh, Jim Valentino and people, and I'm like, Ooh, what's going to happen to <laughs> those time. people in about a year? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> it's in one year from now, they would actually march into the Marvel offices and say we quit. Yeah, yeah, because this is 1990. That yep. Was, uh, this yep. And then uh, January 1992 is when Young Blood number one would be published uh, by Image. Right. Of course. So. We are on the cusp of the biggest change in comic books about to occur, but also uh, around this time, Tom McFarlane would have just is about to launch Spider-Man number one. Right. Oh so. yeah, yeah. It's interesting putting that all into context. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So we're gonna jump over to the second issue, issue one sixty nine. The credits in this one are basically just the same as the first one. I'm not gonna go over them again because we're doing these as three issues in one episodes. I do love the tagline above the uh, title, the non mutant superhero, because the X Men were blowing up at this time because Jim Lee was on the Uncanny X Men. And don't forget, we were also a year away from X Men number one launching. Right. Um, and on the cover we have the rocket racer, the good man, the the good Sandman. This is the time when he had turned into a good guy. The Prowler and the Puma teaming up with Spider-Man, introducing a daringly different super team, the Outlaws. Now, they technically had already been around previously. I think it was Web of Spider-Man number fifty. Right. Um, but uh, then the other caption says, "Against the mighty Avengers, Spidey needs all the help he can get." That's where the Sandman, Rocket Racer, Prowler, and Puma come in. Okay, so other than um, Spider-Man, how did you were you familiar with any of these four characters? Uh, yes, I, I was pretty much the only one I had no knowledge of was Rocket Racer. That's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, like Sandman, Prowler, you know, and even uh, Puma. You know, it's like I've I've seen you know I've definitely got a lot of familiarity with those characters. Um, but uh, Rocket Racer, I was like, I don't know this guy. I would love to have on with me a Native American comic book expert to go over the Puma issues that are coming up. Yeah, yeah, it, you know that would be a really interesting uh, yeah 
So if you definitely know anyone at the store who's a who's either familiar with Native American culture or Native American himself, I would love to have him on the show to go over some of the stuff in the Puma issue because it gets really deep. I mean, the writing, I think, is smart, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's really insulting, and we need to discuss why. I, I, I don't know anything about Native American culture. so And I think it would be a great opportunity to have a Native American comic book fan on with me to discuss these Puma issues just because of how, like, spiritual those 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 stories get in this book mm, yeah yeah it would be great if you did manage to to get a guest so i have the first appearance of uh all these characters except for sandman because that's a ridiculously high price book but the first it appearance is. of prowler i have i have the first appearance of rocket racer and i have the first appearance of puma awesome and we technically have seen Prowler in live action. We've seen Sandman, obviously, at least twice now. But uh, Puma, I'm oh, sorry, I'm no sorry, Puma. not Puma. Prowler showed up in live action in Spider-Man uh, Across the Spider-Verse. Yes. <laughs> yes, he did. So, <laughs> um, yeah, in a uh, a very uh, unforeseen, you know, cameo he did in fact make a live action a live action debut in there and the um what i was talking about with the upcoming prowler issues you know the prowler points out not quite the debt of oau uh honor not so easily repaid never mind prowler it's personal and prowler thinks to himself and indeed it is spider-man and one day soon we will deal with it you and i and that's again a um a, a few issues that that happened that 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 happens the spider and the pan and the and the puma have to conflict with each other and again it's all really like spiritually textually written it's not your typical couple issues of spider-man yeah i i'll have to like i'll have to grab those we actually have quite a lot of this run in the shop um and uh yeah i you know one of these rainy days i'd love to sit down and read it all now the the outlaws are not stupid to think they can take on the Avengers. I mean, even at this time when the Avengers were, I think I think the Avengers had a resurgence, but this is before the Avengers' downfall in the '90s would occur. Because let's face it, the Avengers had a really crap run in the '90s up until the Heroes Reborn storyline with Rob Liefeld, um, yeah. and then eventually George Perez and Kurt Busiek. But this would lead into the a terrible era of horribly written Avenger books. But at this time, at this point. This Avenger team was was uh, pretty good. I actually really did like this Avenger team, um, but even with you know they still have some A listers on there, they're they're not the the outlaws are just like we are way in over our heads. Right. Yeah, and I like that they take that attitude <laughs> instead of just going like you know oh yeah we'll we'll help you take down the Avengers. They're all like no. No, we're afraid of the Avengers. I don't want to do that. Like, you know, I mean, they agreed to do it, but with trepidation. Now, um, the one thing that really shocked me about this black mass of stuff that, you know, we didn't know much about what it was, it was it was cannibalistic because it, it, it captures this poor uh, ape in a cage and kills it. And for a minute there, I honestly thought this was one of the super apes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, it friggin' eats him alive. It's, it's pretty grim. It's pretty grim. This is why I love this uh, era of uh, Spectacular Spider-Man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's like some dark stuff. Um, the, the the Black Cloud, as we will come to learn, is a is a parasitic swarm. Um, right now, at the, you know, at this point in the story, we're kind of meant to believe it's almost you know some mystical entity. Right. Um, you know, but and it's it's it, called it's, it's referred bad to news as no matter what, <laughs> right? They refer to it as the black cloud entity, 
Um, and, you know, as you kind of draw closer to the end, you know, it, it seems to grow ever more powerful. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the, the, the real explanation for how it just, you know, eats these poor monkeys in the zoo is that it is, in fact, actually uh, a swarm. Now, the one thing I don't know a lot about the Space Phantom is that uh, he mentions that he was trapped in limbo for a while and um, he was freed by this person, this glowy green guy, um, who talks in a kind of computerized way, like the way you would see Visions bubbles, maybe, or Red Tornadoes bubbles, or even the Transformers, uh, which Marvel was publishing at this time, would be Square, you know? Mm. Um, so I don't know what the Space Phantom had been doing prior to this to get locked in limbo or who this like glowy person is, uh, but that's basically left for a mystery for the next issue, uh, which we will get there. Um, overall, they build up the mystery, I think, pretty well, giving us uh, little pieces of information about what is going on with this this thing that they've unleashed. Yes. Yeah. Also, we get a quick appearance by the Kingpin. Yeah, lest we forget, um, if we didn't mention it earlier, um, the site uh, for, you know, the the discovery of the chest in which the Black Cloud entity was released um, was a tenement that had just been purchased by Wilson Fisk. Um, And yes, it it seems as though, you know, like... uh, suspicion is the reason he purchased the tenement in the first place was to get his hands on this entity. And then over to issue 170, uh, we have our entire roster characters we've already gone over on the cover. You'll never guess our surprise ending. Hey, we were surprised ourselves. (laughs) The Avengers versus the Outlaws. And you get a huge battle fight right after Spider-Man smacks Captain America, the same way he smacked the <laughs> hulk yeah, uh, Soundly in the face. Correct. However, it's revealed that that is actually the Space Phantom once again. Right. Yeah, so the Space Phantom's, yeah, just going in and causing everyone to get punched. Right. And then, of course, Puma captures him and reveals him to the Avengers about what has been uh, going on. And that's when the Avengers know exactly what that is, because they have a database full of like all of the, uh, you know, extra dimensional and and spacefaring problems that they've ever had to face. The Avengers and the outlaws uh, pull together their resources to figure out what the hell is going on. And that's when we lead into the more uh, I want to say, if you can agree or disagree, Lovecraftian style part of the story. Oh, I would agree. I would agree. This mansion, the guy with his little cult of like hooded worshippers and their candles and everything like that. You know, I'd love to go to one of these events just to check it out sometime. <laughs> right. Yeah, it looks like fun. Um, in 1890, the Carpathian traveler, tra- Carpathian traveled to the Amazon River basin. His entire party party died mysteriously, but Carpathia survived and returned to New York with a locked chest when he refused to open for officials when he arrived. He bribed the, the uh, uh, what do you call it? The, the customs. Customs people in order to get it aboard. And the uh, the creature itself kind of make like manifest its form into this like giant black shape. Right. Um, yeah, and I think this, uh, this is a thing that recurs, you know, this like 
Carpathian uh, storyline here, I think does recur in uh, Amazing Spider-Man at some point. I it think, like, does. The, the, it does. Um, what like ends the up ancestor of um, Ambrose Carpathian comes back. Yes. Um, he he needs the um, he needs he hires the Black Fox to steal uh, a gem from the uh, on loan from the Latverian Embassy to basically bring the swarm back. Uh, to summon it back, because Thor launches it into space with with Mjolnir, and uh, little does the Black Fox or Spider Man know. Of course, that you know would not be a great idea, because Doctor Doom is monitoring it, and he shows up, and Spider Man gets his ass handed to him by Doom, and <laughs> Doom gives him twenty four hours to show to uh, to find the fox and get the damn diamond back. Um, but uh, that's when we get a flashback to this storyline. Spider Man's like, "Oh no, that swarm is deadly," and it's too bad. I. I don't read every single Marvel comic, but I don't think this thing has ever returned since then, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I think you're right, but you know, that's comics. Uh, you know, there's always, always a chance it could pop up again. But the ancient box and the and the ritual summoning of it all also has a you know, it like is indicative of like, you know, the the tale that uh Ray would talk about in prison with the Ghostbusters about like, you know, the Gozer worshippers. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't put that together. I, you know, I thought all of a sudden we were sort of like, you know, going into like Hellboy territory. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, that too. Hellboy, Hellboy would deal a lot with that stuff too. Um, I do love the Daily Bugle, or sorry, the Daily Bullseye. Uh, not the Daily Bugle. The Daily Bullseye's article says horrible murders in Manhattan victims skinned alive. Yeah, <laughs> grim. A little bit. Which so is funny, we... which is funny considering like Cersei and Thor are probably the oldest members of this entire group, and how long they've been around, they have probably seen everything, including skinned alive humans. I would think so, yeah. At this point, um, I I really do wish they could have come up with a better design for the swarm because if you put a mouth on him, he'll just look just like Venom. It is just like Venom, yeah. That's and at this point, Venom had been introduced. This is 1990. Venom was introduced in uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 300, so that was definitely a few couple of years prior to this storyline. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, um, but it is effectively creepy, you know. Uh, it, you know, apart, you know, if you if you can separate it from looking like the Venom symbiote, um. You know, it's it's very creepy. It's like, you know, uh, just this sinister sort of uh, ethereal looking thing um, that, you know, when it actually uh, comes out that it's, you know, it's actually not some, you know, mystical entity. It's uh, it's a swarm that's like, you know, like a hive mind that also makes sense, too. Right. Now, the final page is something completely out of nowhere if you were not reading spectacular spider-man um this is a character from uh, the young gods that was introduced during the high evolutionary war storyline um the high evolutionary for anyone listening was the villain in the guardians of the galaxy volume three and is uh, if not in the fact that he didn't look exactly like his comic book counterpart with his suit of armor i guess whatever it is his motives of evolution and 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 animal cruelty and experimentation are indicative of the comic book counterpart 
Uh, but I digress. This character comes from that storyline, and I didn't know who that. I couldn't remember who the hell this was. Oh, I I was like very unfamiliar. I have you know I this is the first I've read of calculus. Yeah, he's a, he's a nobody. <laughs> right, right, so and the, his uh, and his whole thing also seems very like the uh, you know the whole eternal thing of not interfering in man's problems and. Right. You know, his whole re- reason for for setting everything on this path. Um, I want to point to a um, since we're at the end of the issue now. Um, also the next the next by the way the next two issues are those Puma issues that I mentioned. By the way, it's Puma's uh final uh storyline with Spider Man for a while. Okay. Um, because he'd been a recurring character in every single issue of this book for quite some time. <laughs> right. Um, I wanted to point your point you to an ad in the comic book uh, for American Comics and Entertainment. Did you ever order comic books from this thing growing up? No, no. Okay. Did you? Uh, I tried to more than once, but never successfully. No, oh, because they, so they were, just never showed up, or I just I didn't like pull the trigger to do it. I I always kept filling out like the form to get it done, but. Right, you but you never gotta, actually you mailed a, it. Uh, you have to close a check or a money order and. A self-addressed stamped envelope to the mail right. them to you. Yeah, so so you, you never quite made it there. No, I did like the wizard half offers that were in Wizard Magazine. They did a bunch of half offers, you know, like Heroes Reborn had a half, Spider-Man had a half, Lady Death had a half, you know, those kind of books. Um, right. So I did those once in a while, but I really didn't order anything online for comic books until eBay came around. Right. Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. I I think uh probably me too. Um and yeah, I I would have just gotten them in shops. I got to point to one of the letters in this issue. Um uh, it says uh dear Jim, excuse me for being blunt, but after reading Spider-Man uh 168, one word comes to mind, garbage. I've been collecting <laughs> comics for 12 years and collecting Spider-Man comics for 10 years. Never have have a book gone so low. Comparing this issue to Comparing this issue to the issues Frank Miller did or with Carry On or the issues with the death of Gene D. Wolf is like comparing the way the New York Mets are playing with the New York Yankees <laughs> recent record. Um, relevant to any time period, I guess. Um, and their responses, the letter goes on, and I'm just going to quickly... By the way, this is once upon a time you would actually print someone's address in a letter page today. Right. I you could do that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm skimming it myself. No offense, Sal, but my 10-year-old brother can draw better than this. Um, Jim's harsh response, words Jim's response is different strokes for different folks what was that Gary <laughs> heck I if mean, you're a that's... fan of the classic Gene D. Wolf storyline keep your eyes peeled on the trade paperback coming soon <laughs> that's a very diplomatic response um, it's because Carrion had just recently showed up to team up with the with the um, the demonically possessed hobgoblin Ned Leeds uh, sorry not Ned Leeds uh, Jason Philip McIndale just a few issues prior to this so that's how far back the letter pages go right. um but uh, overall, what did you think of these three issues of Avengers uh, teaming up with Spider-Man and his cast of misfits? Uh, really fun. Uh, you know, I, I am kind of a sucker for, you know, storylines where uh, heroes have to uh, entreat, um, you know, slightly villainous characters to work with them. Uh, and so, you know, the, and this is a group that is made up of, at this point, some of them are kind of more anti-heroes than straight-out villains 
Right. And, you know, like they've all got a sympathetic angle. Uh, and, you know, the re, you know, you as the reader would like them, uh, even even though they are, you know, uh, technically villains. Um, and, you know, the fact that he has to team up with them uh, to sort of go against the Avengers, but then, it, you know, they all end up having to work together to defeat the actual villain. Like, you know, I, th- I thought it was really a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, I, I really enjoyed the way that uh, all of the characters are written. I love Jerry Conway. I love Selby Sima. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, you know, just, just a fun little three-issue arc, you know? Yeah, and um, with a really big cast of, of uh, characters for a book just called Spider-Man, that's it, one guy. I mean, these three issues have so many characters in it, not even counting, like, Mary Jane's, you know, silly plot, romantic plot line and, and uh, anyone yeah, else who's yeah. to pop in. I mean, let, let's face it, other than Mary Jane, we don't really get a, we, we never get Peter Parker in these three issues. Yeah, I mean, you. Yeah, I think we see him for uh, about two seconds when uh, he pops in to say hi to Mary Jane, and that's it. That's it, really. We don't get any, you know, any storyline, and they just wrapped up a huge storyline of Robbie uh, getting acquitted of charges against him for uh, being complacent in a crime that Tombstone uh, had committed years ago. So they might have just tried to, like, you know, tone it down. But at the same time this was happening, Nick Katzenberg had been taking pictures of Peter and Mary Jane through the skylight, and he's wearing his Spider-Man costume. Right. So he had some evidence on Peter and MJ. And I remember there's a story coming up. She socks him right in the face or whatever when she, she he shows her the pictures because he tries to get something out of her for the pictures and it's gross. And he, she just wails him in the face or whatever. And the pictures <laughs> Good for go you, right Mary down Jane. Right. Yeah. Later on, by the way, Peter would show Nick would get cancer and start dying and he eventually die. But he would lose so much weight because of his cancer. But he was a smoker and Mary Jane had taken up smoking. And uh, Peter shows her like Nick's um, uh, appearance or whatever. And what would happen to her one day if she continues trying to smoke? Big anti-smoking thing in Spider-Man. Right. Right. Yeah. Years. Yeah. But, I'm sure Liz, that would have been. <laughs> why don't you give away Topical. where people can find you for your podcast? Uh, if you would like to find me, uh, I frequently join my friend and co-host Paul Dunn on uh, the Comic Crush website. Uh, he hosts a number of podcasts that I uh, am often joining him on. Um, and uh, we will be reviewing the upcoming uh, Loki TV series. We we do uh, film and TV reviews for uh, comics-based film and tv uh so uh that will be coming up really soon um i think uh the show debuts on the 6th of october and so the podcast should be up within a couple of days of that awesome and you can find the rest of the episodes i've hosted for the spectacular salvasama air podcast here on the radio the the spidey dude radio network you can also check out my other podcast about comic books called um goth girl horror the hack slash podcast where i review tim seeley's cassie hack character and her cast of characters over there um and don't forget to check out our new show web of music a spider-man movie music podcast and i'll be back in a week or two with the two-part puma storyline here on the spectacular salvasema air podcast